Good morning. It's good to be with you again. I'm so grateful to God that Pastor Jeff has given me the privilege of, of joining these last few months, I think August, September, this month, and again next week, uh, just being at your church and sharing from the scriptures. Hopelessness. Have any of you ever felt hopeless? Raise your hands. You feel like you've reached the bottom, life is spiraling down, things are broken, you're overwhelmed with the circumstances, and there's no hope in sight. I travel a lot, and I'm often overseas. Rarely does my sweetheart get to go with me, but this week, my wife was traveling with me. We left Saturday. We flew over the Atlantic. We landed on a Sunday, but no luggage. You know, I've traveled enough. I have almost two million miles just with Delta. And I know you never, ever, ever check luggage. But my sweetheart's bag was a little bit bigger than mine. So I thought, she's checking hers. I'll check mine. We get there's no, no clothes. That's fine. They say they'll deliver it Monday. We wake up Monday. We get all excited. Our clothes are coming. They call and they say, oh, sorry. They're coming tomorrow. Well, that's no problem with me. When I go overseas, I go to places where you don't have to smell good. And I often just carry just a little bitty bag, and I'm fine. I save one clean pair of clothes to travel back because I know people do care when I travel back this way. So we go to bed, or start getting ready to go to bed Tuesday, and they say, oops, it's not coming. It's coming tomorrow. Well, I notice my sweethearts who's countenance is always positive, smiling. She's so wonderful. I saw her start spiraling. By the way, did you see the fire, the news last night on the fire in Irmo? That was Debbie and me burning the clothes that we had worn Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So we burned them. But you know, hopelessness, the situations are always relative, but the response is the same. By relative, I mean, I'm driving here this morning. I'm three quarters of a mile from the church. And an ambulance passes me. We'd all pulled over, and I got to thinking, I wonder what the people that are waiting on the ambulance, I wonder what they're feeling. I wonder if they're hopeless. I wonder if they're thinking, will the ambulance get here in time? So, some lost luggage to an ambulance, that's very relative. But, but the feelings are the same. And so the response is oft, often this. We get to the point we've done everything we can or we think we can. There's nothing else left to do but what? Pray. And so where we've been gazing at our problems, we begin to glance up to God and we start praying. And here's a dirty, little dirty secret about Christians. We talk a lot about praying, but we rarely ever pray until we get to the bottom and think there's no hope. Now, this morning, if you write anything down in your notes, I want you to write this down. Don't make prayer your last chance. Make prayer your first choice. Quit gazing at your problems and glancing every so often to God. 
This morning when we leave this place, I want you to glance one last time at whatever that problem you're carrying this morning, the burden, the thing that seems impossible, and there is no hope. I want you to glance one last time at it, and then I want you to begin to gaze at God and begin to call on his name because his name, the name we're looking at this morning is El Elyon, El Elyon. Now you may say, what on earth is El Elyon? That sounds like a foreign language to me. It is, it's Hebrew. It's from the Old Testament. And this is what it means. El means God, and Elyon means the Most High. So you put it together, El Elyon is God the Most High. Well, where do we find this in Scripture? If, if we could read Hebrew, we see it a lot in the book of Genesis, a lot in the book of Psalms. It's scattered other places. But my most favorite is Psalm 78, verse 35. Psalm 78, verse 35. And I love how it starts. And they remembered. So often I'm staring at my problems. I'm gazing at my problems. And I'm feeling overwhelmed and hopeless Maybe perhaps I might just send a quick glance at God until I remember. Remember what? That God is my rock. What else do I remember? And that the most high God, El Elyon, I remember that El is my rock and that El Elyon is my redeemer. And when I remember that, I no longer have to be hopeless. Now, I've been gone the last two Sundays, so I didn't have a privilege of being here as we've begun this series on calling upon the name of God. And two weeks ago, from the pulpit, it was explained that God is the God who sees. Last week, we went over, although I wasn't here, I was gone, we went over this. God is the, our shepherd. Next week, the pastor's already told you, we're gonna look at God as our healer. But this morning, we wanna call upon El Elyon. We mean to remember, quit gazing at our problems and glancing at El Elyon. Quit making, oh, all we have left to do is pray. Quit making prayer our last chance and make prayer to El Elyon our first choice. So let me ask you, this morning, you said you're familiar with the feeling of hopelessness, but are you feeling hopeless this morning? Is there an area in your life where you're feeling overwhelmed? The burden is weighing you down heavily. Life seems broken and you're fixated because there's, there's no way out. For example, finances. You're struggling with finances. Does it feel hopeless? I understand, there have been times in my life where financially the pressures were incredibly great. Three in particular that I believe has changed my life. The first one, I was 23 and Debbie and I are newly married. And I went up to our pastor, I was the youth minister like Stallion is here, Daniel is here. And I said, pastor, 
what can make me the most effective minister in the years to come? I want to be the very best I can be. He said, go get a job in the marketplace. I went, you don't want me to be the youth minister anymore? He said, no, stay the youth minister and go get a job in the marketplace. I went, oh my, that'd be a tremendous amount of pressure and responsibility. He says, exactly. When you become the leader of a church, and you ask the people in your church, I want you to show up from Monday night and do this, show up Wednesday night and do this, I want you to be here at seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning so we can do all the services. I want you to understand what kind of pressures they're carrying so you can learn to relate and lead and guide more effectively. So that's what we did. We went out and started a tire business. I didn't know anything about tires except the four things on my car. But I had a friend that knew a lot about tires, another fellow that was willing to back us financially, so we opened up a retail tire store. And in six months, because we're in a little town and we knew everybody and everybody knew and trusted us, we were earning 100% per annum on our investment. Pretty good investment. We were doubling our money, we doubled our money in six months. And every six months we were doubling again. We were making a ton of money. So we said, business is easy. Let's go open up a second store. And we went to Cocoa, Florida, and opened up a second store. And it was making money. Not as much as this one, but it was making money. So now both are making money, and we're like, oh my. We're gonna be the richest folks in the United States. So we also had a, a recapping business. We collected used tires, shipped them up to North Carolina. They recapped them, brought them back, and we sold recaps. So one day I'm thinking, we're making money on that. Now I'm about 24 and a half at this point. I know everything about business. So I said, why are we shipping these tires up there? Let's make our own recaps. So we build a facility and we're manufacturing our own tires. But by the age of 25, I still look like I was about 16 years old. So you try to sell tires to business guys that've been in the tire business all their lives in Florida, which tends to peel off the recap off of a tire. You look like you're 16, go try to sell a tire that you've made. It didn't go very well. And it was just like throwing every month thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars away. One Thursday afternoon, I went to our warehouse, which is about half as big as this auditorium, and I got down on my knees. I said, God, tomorrow, I have to pay 17 guys their paycheck. That was the cycle they were on. We don't have the money. We, we had less than 10 bucks in the account. I am panicked. I'm feeling overwhelmed, hopeless. I said, God, if you don't show up today, tomorrow I have to borrow money and it's gonna be downhill, I fear, the spiral. I said amen, got off my knees, went to the little showroom we had and there was a guy I had been trying to sell tires to for months. He owned just dozens of tire stores up the east coast of Florida. And I knew if I could sell him, since he was the biggest guy, the rest would be easy. I didn't want to start from the bottom and work my way up. I want to start with the top guy because the dominoes would go easily then. He's in the 
showroom. So may I help you? He said, you still selling those recaps? I said, yes, sir. He said, let me look at them. He went in the warehouse, looked at them, he said, these are good. I said, yes, sir, we made them ourselves. He said, I'll take them. Great, how many? Looked around, I'll take all of them. I tried to act like this happens all the time. He says, what kind of terms will you give me? Well, you're supposed to give 30, 60, 90. He'll pay a third a month from now, another third two months from now, another three months from now. I said, how about 24 hours? He looked at me like, you have lost your mind. I said, look, listen, I just need to make payroll tomorrow. If you will make my payroll, I don't care if you ever pay me another dime after that because I know we're gonna sell a ton of tires because you're now buying from us. Question. Coincidence? I mean, he had to be driving up the road before I got on my knees. Coincidence? Maybe. But I'm not going to give the devil credit for that coincidence. I just know I was hopeless when I got down on the floor. And I know when I went out in that showroom, El Elyon had shown up. I'll, I'll tell you a second story, then I'll move on to another area where people and I, all of us, tend to feel hopeless, weighed down, burdened, overwhelmed, hopeless. We started Crossover, the church planting organization. We worked up a budget. I said, sweetheart, go to the bank, take out all of our savings, except leave $150 in the savings account. Because if we did that, we still got free checking back then. So we left $150, took all of our money, put it in the little ministry, and we still needed $3,200 to do what we needed to do. You know, get a computer. The computers back then were huge. And so... I went to my dad and said, Dad, I need $3,200. Would you give that to us? He cussed me out. He, he was not a believer at that point. So I went to Debbie's dad and said, you have $3,200? We're starting this new ministry. And he's a strong believer and he said, oh, I wished I could, but I just made this investment. I don't have anything liquid. I went, mm, that's not good. I didn't know anybody else who had $3,200. So for seven days, I prayed. I'm burdened because I feel in my heart God wants us to start this ministry. But I look at all my circumstances and there's no money to do it. So Lord, please, you're my last chance. With me? Because I was going all the human choices were first. He was not my first choice. He was my last chance. Seven days later, I got this check. Here's, here's a picture of it. In the mail, unsolicited. Listen to me, unsolicited. Now, it's made out to a different ministry name at that point. We changed the name of the ministry three years later. But 
this person I did not ask, by the way, this person's the one who shared the gospel with me when I was seeking a right relationship with God in college. Now question, coincidence? Maybe, all I know was I had nowhere else to turn but upward. I took my gaze off of the situation. Now granted, it was my last chance. That's why I don't, what I thought was my last chance. El Elyon was not my first choice. And what I want us to do this morning when we walk out of these doors, as we will have purposed in our hearts, we're gonna make our problem, we're gonna glance at it one last time. We walk out of the door, just, just do this. But then our gaze, our focus is gonna be on El Elyon. And we're gonna call upon his name because he is the God most high. That name emphasizes his strength, his supremacy, his sovereignty. He's big enough. Are you struggling financially? You feel hopeless, overwhelmed, no hope? Turn your gaze upward and call upon his name. El Elyon, I need you to provide. Now listen, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. As long as Pastor Jeff's the pastor of this church, he's not gonna lead us into that wrong, unbiblical theology. On the other hand, we don't wanna have a poverty theology. We don't wanna have a prosperity theology. God, you owe it to me. I'm gonna ask and you have to give it to me. That, that's not biblical. On the other hand, we don't have to feel like we have to keep fixating on our problems or lack of needs. We can turn to him, to El Elyon, to the Most High God. Second question. If it's not financially, are you feeling hopeless about your family? Is it so messed up, so broken that you feel like the situation's hopeless. When we were served that church in Florida many years ago, there was a 17-year-old kid. He quit high school, got involved with drugs, left his home, and went and moved in with the drug dealer. He was so bad the drug dealer kicked him out of the apartment. His parents loved God. They began to pray. And in that whole process, they asked if I would reach out to him. So I took two college students and we'd go, when he got kicked out of the apartment, he went and lived on, a, on the floor of a warehouse, an abandoned warehouse. He was just living homeless on this floor, estranged from his family, all he wanted to do was just get high on his drugs. We'd go to the, the little um, warehouse, the two college kids and I, and say, Scott, what you're looking for won't be found in your drugs. It'll only be found in Jesus Christ. He'd say, I hate you, Bill. I hate you. Leave me alone. Never come back here. 
I'd go away, two weeks later, I'd go back with the two college students. Well, one day he's walking down the sidewalk at night, he and his friend are drunk, and he sees the two college guys, and he looks up at them, they're Christians, they're not supposed to be happy, but they're smiling, there's this joy on their face, and he looks at his friend, they're supposed to be happy because they get high all the time, and he and, he and his friend look miserable. He says, I'll catch you later. He went up to the two Christians, he said, take me to Bill Jones's house, I want to give my life to Christ. Now, you don't have to come to my house to give your life to Christ, but he didn't know any better. So it's after midnight, they pull up in our driveway, they bang on the window in our bedroom, scares us to death, does it not? I had to pull Debbie down from the fan. I mean, she just went up, you know, just straight up into the ceiling. She was, pulled her down, it's okay. I open up the curtains, I look out, and it looked like there's this animal trying to get into the window. And I was a little startled. It was Jeff White. Jeff's had a full beard since he was 11, so he looked like this troll or something trying to get in. He said, Scott's drunk, he's out in the car and he wants to give his life to Christ. Well, Jeff used to be on drugs himself, so I'm kind of going, are you sure? You know, because it seems so, Scott hated me. So I put on some clothes, walk out the door, go down a little driveway, the Volkswagen door opens, big Scott gets out of the car, he comes running up the driveway, grabs me, picks me up, he's hugging me like this, he's much bigger than I, my little legs are going like this, and he goes, I love you, Bill Jones, I love you. And I went, you are drunk. So we go to my office, I explained the gospel to him, how he could give his life to Christ. I said, but you can't come to Christ because you're drunk, but I'm going to pray for you. Tomorrow when you're sober, come back, I will let you become a Christian. Like I have a lot to do with it. We get on our knees and we cry out to El Elyon. I prayed just a few words, dear Father God, and he screamed, he started wailing for God to forgive him. About 1.30, 2 o'clock, it's been so long, I don't remember. I called his parents, they came to my office, there was this great reunion. Today he's a pastor from a hopeless family situation to a Cinderella type story. Coincidence? They looked upward. They called upon God's name. Our situation's hopeless. But you, you, you are the God most high. And you're big enough to change our situation. Do you have family situation, family problems? You feel hopeless? Quit gazing at your problem. When you go out the door today, take one last glance, and then you fix your gaze upon El Elyon, and you call upon his name. I need you to change my family. One last area. Are you struggling spiritually? Now, you may not know to call it that, all you know is you're dealing with these deep feelings. As a matter of fact, you, you may not have a vocabulary that can even describe it. You just know things aren't right on the inside. You're overwhelmed with, with guilt, with shame, with regret. You have no direction. You don't know who you are or who you're supposed to be. 
and life seems so overwhelming. And like there is no hope. How will I have these issues cared for? This summer, I was in Central Asia in the country called Azerbaijan in the capital is Baku. And this is, Azerbaijan is uh, part of the former Soviet Union. It's northeast of Turkey, west of Iran. And let me back up. Last Christmas, an Iranian who now lives in Azerbaijan, one of our missionaries led him to Christ. And he now feels, it wasn't long after that, he felt like God was calling him to leave Azerbaijan and go to Iran and start churches. Now we've started 15 churches in Iran. And it is a tough place because of the persecution. And this is, this is exciting news for us, but it's dangerous news. So we wanna make sure he's well, well trained. And so we send what we call second generation church planters, indigenous nationals, into a situation. We spend months and months and months training them. So I'm over in May or June in Azerbaijan doing some of the training. By the way, here's a picture of him getting baptized. I love this picture. He's, he's the one on the uh, far right as you're looking at the picture. And I laugh at this picture. We used to baptize these Muslims that gave their lives to Christ. It's Azerbaijan is 86% Muslim. We'd baptize them in the Caspian Sea but it's winter time at this point when this baptism is taking place. Let's put this image back up there one more time, please. It's, it's winter time, and so we find a spa that will let us go in, and we've worked with the government. We now have a, a legal um, recognition, recognition by the government for the house church movement that's going on there, and so we felt safe enough to go in the spa, and the people in the spa said, you can use our pool but you have to wear bathing caps. Well, I, I know all three of these men. They have far more hair on their bellies than they do on their, on their heads. And I'm thinking, why did you put the, make, you, make you put your bathing cap on your head? They should have strapped it around your stomach. And so it's, anyway, I get a kick out of this picture. So, lest I digress. Okay, so he's at the training. He says, he said, Bill, would you come to my house? I want you to lead my mother to Christ like I have a lot to do with it. I said, I'll come, we'll pray. Let's see what God does. So here's a picture of the family. His mother's on the far right. My, she's to the right of me in the picture and his sister's to the left. His mother hates Iran. And the reason why she does, she's still Muslim. The reason why she hates Iran is because when she was 12 years old, her mother and father gave their 12-year-old girl to this 42-year-old man to be his wife. She had her first baby, the brother that's missing in that picture, had her first baby at age 12. And she told one of our missionaries, she said, I was still playing with dolls when I was caring for my newborn baby. But she's still real hard toward everything. So we were available. God, if you want to show up, we're here. Turns out it was not for her, but for the sister. The sister's a dentist, very intelligent. And while we were there just, uh, talking after dinner, she turned to me and she said, 
I've seen the change in my brother Daniel. I want what he has. There's something missing in my life. Now, she's female, I'm male, she's Muslim, I'm a follower of Christ. I have to be very careful in the conversation. And I said, well, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that explains how you can cross over into a right relationship with God. Then I turned and started talking to some other folks in the room. When I turned back, she got my attention. She said, if it's not too much of an inconvenience, would you share that verse or tell me what that verse is? So here's the verse. I had the missionary write it in Farsi. Farsi is her first language. Azari is her second language. English is her third language. He wrote it in Farsi, and they write from right to left. We write from left to right. That's why it looks uh, inverted there. I take full responsibility for the artwork underneath. So I explained to her the gospel using John 3, 16. I said, where would you put yourself on this diagram? And you see the little lady there at the top of the cross. She put herself there. Now, you and I know you're either separated from God or you have a right relationship with God. You can't be in the middle. She didn't know that. I knew what she was saying. I don't want to be separated anymore. I want to be with God. I'm not there. Can you help me get there? So we got down on our knees. And here's a picture of us praying. Her brother led in prayer, and they translated the prayers afterwards. It's such a beautiful prayer. She prayed and invited Christ to come into her heart to forgive her of her sin and give her the free gift of eternal life. And then the missionary closed in prayer. Now, Look here, please. She's on her knees. And so to speak, she remembered that God is our rock. El Elyon, the most high God, is her redeemer. She called upon the name of God, El Elyon. That was at the beginning of the summer. I got home, she wrote me this email. Remember, this is in her third language. Hello, Dr. Bill. How are you? You are like the hands of God for me. And you took my hands and I came to God. Help me in this way, thank you. She, thank you for helping me in this way. At the end of the summer, this is the email she wrote me. I have changed my life since I came to believe in Christ. I have seen the light of God in my life, and thank you. Coming from Iran, successful on the outside, empty on the inside. She looked up and called out in El Elyon changed her. There's something in a name. This morning, before the first service began, I was walking up this aisle, and somebody said, oh, Bob Jones is here to speak to us this morning. When I first moved to, Cal to uh, South Carolina, I heard, I heard Bob Jones a lot. I was called, oh, you're Bob Jones? No, no, Bill Jones. Bob, no, Bill, Bill Jones. I, I like to hear Bill. 
He likes to hear El Eldion. You are the most high God. You. I've been gazing at my problems, financial problems, family problems, spiritual problems. And I've only on Sunday mornings been giving you a quick glance. But this morning, when I walk out the door, I'm going to glance one last time at that problem. And I'm going to fixate my gaze upon El Eldion, God the Most High, the Sovereign, the Supreme, the Strong One. I'm going to quit getting to a place of hopelessness where all, all we can do now is just pray. I'm going to quit making prayer my last chance. God, I'm going to make prayer my first choice. Because he loves to hear his name. When you go out of here this morning, remember. Remember. You know what that means? It means don't forget. Remember. That God, El, God, is our rock. That El Elyon, God the Most High God, is our, is your Redeemer. Will you do that this morning? Just take one last glance. Then fix your gaze and remember. Let's pray together. Father God, our rock, most high God, our redeemer, there's some problems in the room this morning burdens, which makes, which makes us feel hopeless. Father, would you show up in our lives? Would you do a great and mighty work, one that only the Most High God can accomplish? And God, we will not call it a coincidence but we'll give you the honor and glory when you answer. Lord, we don't expect you to answer immediately all the time. But God, we're grateful that you do hear us and you'll give us what's best for us. We love you. We worship you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.